It is Friday the 13th. Ooh. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm A.J. Hoffman. Mahomes improves to 12-0 against the Broncos. And the Phillies punch their ticket to the NLCS. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Taylor Swift 19, Ciara 8. The Chiefs beat the Broncos. The Phillies finish off the Braves 3-1, advance to the NLCS for the second consecutive season. And we got to look ahead to the weekend in football and fighting. What is the Vegas lead here, Scott? Really, Taylor Swift against Sierra? Is that where you went with That's this? where I went. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. This beat is automatic. No? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yes, it was the Swifties, Taylor Swift in attendance for the third time, and the Chiefs are now 3-0 with Taylor Swift in attendance. They're an unstoppable Congratulations. Force. As they defeat the Broncos in a boring football game, 19-8 last night. Kind of what we thought was going to happen because the wind – When we talked about this game yesterday, we mentioned the weather was going to play a factor and there wasn't going to be a lot of throwing down the field. Didn't stop Mahomes from having 300 passing yards, but it certainly hurt Russell Wilson, who relies on that deep ball. Yeah, and it it wasn't really available. Although, when you look at the final stats, you say, well, didn't seem like Patrick Mahomes had a lot of problem with the wind. Uh, Travis Kelsey, who we thought was going to be limited with an ankle, he didn't have a lot of problems. Yeah, but the longest the longest play was a 40-yard catch and run by Kelsey. It wasn't 40 air yards. Yeah. It was a catch and run. Well, and this is what we said yesterday. It, the this is less of the wind is going to affect Patrick Mahomes less because their game isn't really predicated on hitting deep shots because they don't have any deep shot receivers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Broncos need to hit those deep shots. They were unable to. Uh Russ with 95 yards. 95, uh, and just not a lot of offense to speak for. They didn't get much out of the running game, obviously didn't get much out of Russ, just a an overall brutal night for the Broncos, though. They do get a touchdown in the fourth quarter and keep Sean Payton's 16-year or whatever it is run of never being shut out, mm. uh, keeps that alive. But, yeah, just a, a really ugly game, particularly for the Broncos. The Broncos are now 1-5 on the season. Russell Wilson had a 10.1 QBR last night, 13 of 22, 95 yards, a touchdown, two picks. Did rush for 31 yards, so he goes over his rushing total, much to our dismay on the, the same game parlay pod. But looking at this Broncos team, their lone win came against the Chicago Bears in a game that they very well could have oh, yeah. and maybe should have lost If not for Justin Fields fumbling the ball and giving them the ball back, it could be a different story. What is wrong with the Denver Broncos? Well, first of all, I mean, it didn't show up last night, but generally this season, their defense has been dreadful. Like that's the first thing you've got to, you've got to look at. But um, I mean, last night the, the offense was, was just as bad. And part of it was, again, was the wind, but part of it is, the, the Chiefs play good defense, and the Broncos didn't have an answer for their defense. And you, you can, yeah, you're, you're right. They probably could have lost that Bears game. 
They could have won the Raiders game. They could have won the Commanders game. Like, I don't think this is like the worst team of all time, but they're pretty bad. And they really have to start looking now. And I think Tony Gonzalez, in fact, Tony Gonzalez did say this after the game. They need to start looking at what pieces they want to keep and build around and what pieces they want to start trading and try and get some draft capital to build up this team for a different season because obviously this season is now officially in the toilet. Do you think Russell Wilson gets benched at some point? Remember earlier, before the season started, RJ gave out under Russell Wilson passing yards, and he said it wasn't so much Russell's performance that he wasn't going to throw a lot. He said there's a chance that they go to Jarrett Stidham at Matt, some point. Matt, contractually, can you look up when the, the earliest out possible is for uh, for Russell Wilson and the Broncos? I, th- I think that plays a factor. Like, if Russell Wilson has to be the quarterback next year, which I think he does, I think there's one more year before it's, like, r- reasonable to move on from him. Mm-hmm. If if that's the case, I think you have to just keep throwing him out there and keep seeing what you can get out of him because if you've got to pay him next year, like, you, you've got to pay, you've got to play him. It's really two years that they don't have much cap flexibility. Dead cap of $85 million next year, $50 million the year after that. Three years from now, they can get out of it for a modest sum of $31 million in dead cap. Yeah, it, it's literally, you have to play him right now. I mean, if you bench him, you're saying you're not our guy, and he's your guy for the at least the next year, probably two. But I don't think he's Sean Payton's guy. I mean, I know, like, you don't take the job, you know, and and unless you're okay having Russell Wilson as your quarterback, right? Sean Payton right? knew what his contract he, situation yeah, he was. he knew what yeah. the deal was when he got the job. But it's not like this was Sean Payton's hand-picked guy, yeah. but he did bring in Jared Stidham. He chose that that's the backup that we want to pay. I'm not saying that Jared Stidham would make this team better. I'm just saying there's a chance that maybe the Broncos would be better off if they moved away from Russell Wilson, whether that means calling some teams up and inquiring about trade possibilities, Jets maybe, or anybody else, or if they bench him at some point. I I don't know, but this is not – we talked about last year the performance, and you're saying, okay, it was Nathaniel Hackett's fault. Uh, Is it Nathaniel Hackett's fault this year? No. I mean, this is – it's just a bad team. I mean, this is, there's there's not enough good players. The defense went from two years ago, we were saying, man, if the Broncos only had a quarterback, they get Russell Wilson, and there was buzz, like, this could be a Super Bowl mm-hmm. team. Then last year, Russell Wilson looked bad. We said, ah, maybe Nathaniel Hackett just stunk it up. Uh, and then one year later, the defense has now gone from a strength to it's it's one of the worst in the league. I don't know. I don't know what the, I don't think there's a quick fix. Mm-hmm. And how about Jerry Judy, who gets called out by Steve Smith on the NFL Network broadcast and then talks smack to Steve Smith when he sees him in person at the game last night because he doesn't appreciate Steve Smith calling him just a guy. And how does he respond? Three catches, 14 yards. Yeah. Not, not just ideal. a guy. Jagoff. And by the way, <laughs> Steve Smith. Not like one of the guys, like NFL guys, who I think, yeah, I wouldn't want to fight him. That's yeah. uh, like maybe maybe keep your mouth shut around him. Like you just if he gives you criticism, you just go, yeah, he's probably right, and walk on, walk on. Let's take a look at what both of these teams have coming up next. Let's start with the Broncos, since we're 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 pretty much shitting on them right now. Uh, they are home against the Packers. 10 days from now. So they have the extended break because they played on the Thursday night. They return home and they're taking on a Jordan Love led Packers team that has not looked good and is going to be coming off of a bye. So both teams on extended break. 
do we do we have a lean either way, Mackenzie? Do we have an early line on that game right now for week uh, week seven? Yeah, Packers minus two and a half at Denver. That's been bet up for minus that's one where it opens. Wild. They're not good, but the Broncos are that much worse. That's wild. Yeah. Rematch at Super Bowl thirty two. Of course, everybody knows that. <laughs> Everyone knows that. I think if we see a three, I'd probably have to look at the Broncos there because here's what I'll say about Russ, and I, like it's easy to to crap on him right now because they're one and five. It's not Russ's fault that they're this bad. In like last night was a unique night where like Russell Wilson was was disgusting, uh-huh. terrible. But overall this season, like would you say that Russell Wilson's performance has been I would even say good relative to team performance? It was, especially before the last 2 weeks. Now the defense did pretty okay against the Jets and okay against the Chiefs. And the exact opposite of Russell Wilson. points to the Jets. Yeah, one was a pick six. I mean, just uh, numbers-wise, it wasn't the worst defense of all, of all time like they'd been but previously. But as soon as they look okay, Russell Wilson has his worst two games of the season. Broncos country. Let's ride. Let's ride. <laughs> yeah, they, boy, they better win that Packers game because their next two after that is another one with the Chiefs and then at Buffalo. It's not ideal. Speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, next week they will take on Herbs. Justin Herbert and the Chargers at home at Arrowhead, though. So they do have home field advantage. McKenzie, what's the early line on next week's game? Chiefs minus six. That's super high. That is high. That is super high. Now, what happens if the Chargers beat the Cowboys on Monday Night Football? Chiefs minus five. (laughs) It's it's in that dead zone now, right? So, like... Uh, I, and I, as someone who's already, I'm already backing the chargers for this week or or for Monday. So I don't want, uh, I don't want them to lose, but if they did, maybe we see a seven, but man, I, I, six feels like enough for me. I, I, I'd be certainly leaning that way. I would lean that way as well. It's a division game. And the chiefs just like, again, they covered last night. I mean, it was certainly in doubt almost the entire game. Like it never felt like if you had a, a chiefs minus 10 and a half ticket, you weren't like, oh yeah, easy winner. No, it was a, it was a sweat all mm-hmm. all night. And every time they kicked the field goal with the wind, you didn't know nope. what to expect. But Harrison Butker is him, so yeah. Uh, he, he no, made Justin, that. Justin Tucker is him. Harrison Butker's the other guy. He's the other guy. <laughs> yeah, but the, he he made the kicks when it mattered the most, and they went up by two scores there at the end, and that was all she wrote. Let's take a look at the schedule for Sunday and highlight the biggest games and talk about all the spreads in the NFL. Week number six, it'll start on Sunday in London, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Ravens and the Titans. Mackenzie, where are we at with the spread and total for this game? And all of the lines, courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook for this segment, and we're looking at Ravens minus four, total of 42 in London town. Totals in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now 5-2 and two after the Bills and Jaguars went under last week. I, we talked about it on the Dream Pod. You got to like the fact that the Ravens went out there early. They've been there since Monday. That's honestly the thing I like the most about the Ravens. And, and re- really, there's a lot that I like about the Ravens this week. I, I do think on a neutral, the Ravens, like saying they're four points better than Tennessee, isn't absurd. They went out there early. Tennessee went out there late like mm-hmm. Buffalo did, which I think was clearly foolish. Uh, I think the Ravens were, even though I, I was on the Steelers, was my best bet last week. The, the Ravens were unfortunate. Had a, I, I mean, they had over 150 yards in drops. A touchdown dropped. Uh, the thing that worries me is Mike Vrabel is a dog, and this is the, these are the games that he covers, mm-hmm. and particularly when more than three points, 25-12 and one, when catching more than a field goal. It's a it's a hard number to get in the way of. It's like when. When Tomlin is a dog, 
when Vrabel is a dog, I I either play them or I pass altogether. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like when the game's in London, you can almost throw some of that stuff out. If it was a home dog, yes, we definitely look at that. That factors into the equation. But I mean, what if, I mean to what's what's the difference between playing a neutral game and a road game? I, I mean, it's it's well, a neutral game is played at a site that neither team is the home team. Right, I understand. Whereas, <laughs> but I mean, as as far as like the di- like the difficulty unfamiliar of it, travel, yeah, something you've never done. So I I understand that, and I like the Ravens. So I did the opposite query when Mike Vrabel's not a four and a half point dog, so he's a four point dog or less. 36 and 36 ATS. We can play them. We can, okay. them. We can play the Ravens. Yeah. All right, the Commanders are at the Falcons. What are we looking at, Mac? At the DraftKings Sportsbook, we are looking at the Commanders. Two and a half point underdogs, total of 42. I gave the first half play out on the Dream Pod because Desmond Ritter, in his career with the Atlanta Falcons, is 0-9 in the first half. They are failing to cover the first half with him at quarterback by 6.3 points per game. If you look at the points scored by the Atlanta Falcons in the first half under Desmond Ritter, 3, 9, 7, 10, 14, 3, 3, 0, 7. We are taking the commandos in the first half. Yeah, I, this feels like the right time to buy Washington. Like we, you, you want to pick you. You talk about as low as they could be right now. They just they lost for the first time to Chicago. Like they gave Chicago their first win since like 1946 or something. It was maybe it was last <laughs> October, but it's been a long time since Chicago won a game. But this number in general for the for the spread says that these teams are almost equal. Yeah, similar to Houston last week. It just what? it just doesn't make sense to me. That Washington and, and Atlanta are the same team, or maybe Atlanta's a half point better. I, I can't get to that number, but I also don't want to. I don't want to fade this spot for Washington. But Washington was so bad against the run last week mm-hmm. against Chicago, 178 yards rushing, and that was the Bears using a fullback at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, how does how does this run heavy Atlanta team not just have their way with the with the Commanders? Certainly something to be concerned about. Up next, the Vikings at the Bears, McKenzie. Vikings now minus three at Chicago. And the big question is, what does this Vikings offense look like without Justin Jefferson? Can Jordan Addison, Addison and KJ Osborne pick up the slack, or will it be the TJ Hawkinson show? Well, I mean, it was a mixture uh, for for most of the game last week against Kansas City. We saw a lot of Addison, a lot of Hawkinson. Uh, and that's why I mean they played three quarters without no, more than three quarters without Justin Jefferson last week. So and and you know they put up twenty points, which isn't a ton, but against the Chiefs now it's starting to look like man you put up twenty points on the Chiefs you're, you're not too bad. Uh, I, I think Minnesota is going to be fine offensively. Um, I I just think that there's been an overreaction to the Bears getting a win. Like it, it, what was the what was the look ahead before the Bears got that win? Do you know, Mac? Yeah, uh, they were four and a half, and, we, and we knew we didn't know Jefferson wouldn't be there, but the Vikings were four and a half point favorites before last Sunday's games. It's just it feels like a big reaction. I questioned Steve Fezzik on Wednesday's uh, pod. I've I've never seen him move a team two and a half points in his power ratings after a win. And he just shrugged it off. Like, yeah, I upgraded him two and a half points. It's, uh, it feels like he was just trying to justify where the market's taking this thing. And the, the market loves the Bears right now. I just don't believe that suddenly they're this great team or not a, not a terrible team because mm-hmm. they had one good data point. I get that Justin Fields has played better. 
I'm just not sure that I'm convinced. Like Zach Wilson played good for a game. Yeah, but we didn't say, "Up, oh, the Jets are back, baby." No, it's the, well, Scott did. He, yeah, but Scott's Jets fan. They never left though. Yeah, <laughs> but the the reality is, like, we can't make these huge judgments and huge swings in power ratings based on one performance. I'm not willing to get there with the Bears yet. Seahawks are at the Bengals. What are we looking at, McKenzie? Bengals now three point favorites, uh, maybe two point eight, three even money. At so, King Sportsbook. are we overreacting to one performance here? AJ is Joe Burrow back? I don't know that he's back, but what? At least in his case, we know Joe Burrow's a really good football player, right? Mm-hmm. Last week, I saw him running around. I saw him moving in the pocket, something that we hadn't seen all year. So, I'm not saying he's back to being Joe Burrow. I'm saying he's no longer a guy who's like a statue in the pocket and is scared to throw the ball downfield. We saw he's willing to throw the ball downfield. He's capable of throwing the ball downfield. And to me now, if you can buy Joe Burrow for cheap, this like the idea that the Bengals were two and a half point favorites earlier in the week. And are now, you know, I guess what 2.8 you said, Mac, Uh, this feels like you're getting a bargain. And if, if Joe Burrow is back, Mm -hmm. this is a cheap number. I'll say this, it's a lot more likely that Joe Burrow is back than Justin Fields is suddenly good, right? I would agree with that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and, and hey, Jamar Chase complained. He said he's always open, and he was always open last week. And I really think there's something to Seattle, and people are, are very high on Seattle. And I don't think they're terrible or anything, but they beat the Giants. Mm-hmm. They beat the Panthers. Mm-hmm. And they beat the Lions in a game where... Lucky win with the turnovers. They were 3-0 in turnovers, including Mm -hmm. a pick six. They won it in overtime. They still went to Ford Field and won versus a team that looks like as good as anybody. It is. And it's a good win, but it was a, a fortunate win. And I don't know that I'm like willing to say, yeah, oh yeah, they're they're absolutely legit. Yep. Let's move on to the 49ers at the Browns. And when I gave out the 49ers as my five weight on the Dream Pod... I told Steve Fezzik, I said, when it's publicly announced that Deshaun Watson will not play, this line will go up. And when we recorded the Dream Pod, the 49ers were seven-point favorites. We find out yesterday it is highly unlikely that Deshaun Watson is going to play. So, Mackenzie Rivers, what is the spread in this game? 49ers by 10. There you have it. So, even though the spread shot up, from wherever it was to go to seven with the reports that it was going to, that Deshaun Watson was not practicing, which was very concerning because they had a bye week. So he's still not practicing after a bye week. And then we find out that it's not going to, not even going to be DTR. It's going to be PJ Walker. And so when the reports come out that Deshaun Watson's likely not going to play, this line moved all the way to 10. So let's talk about this for a second for something that's tangible for all three of us right now. We're all in season-long pick'em contests, ATS contests, and McKenzie is in the Westgate Super Contest and is absolutely killing it. 18th. 17-7-1 so far, incredible record. Happens to me by record on the pod, but you two know. good records right there. Yeah, we're we're doing okay. <laughs> I'm fifteen, uh, eight, and two or yeah, something like that. Well, you're doing well. Good yeah. for you. Come on. Uh, but here's my question, and I think your case, McKenzie, is different than Scott and I's because mm-hmm. Scott and I are we're in the middle of the pack right now in our contest. We've got to make up some ground. Mm-hmm. I think for you, as a, a guy who's kind of front running. It makes a lot of sense to use the 49ers minus seven. Because every single person in the contest. Everybody's going to do it. For Scott and I, 
I feel like it's not necessarily the best play because we've got ground to make up. Yeah. So for us, and not to cheer against you, but for us, it's it almost makes more sense to to pick another team and hope that the 49ers don't and that we can pick up a game on the field because the assumption is 90% when there's a line move like this, particularly yeah. from a 7 all the way to a 10, uh, it's going to it's gonna be on almost every card, right? Exactly. And I'm two and a half games back from the leader, one and a half from, from second place, and I want the cash in the six-week contest. So everything you said makes sense. I was thinking I might pick the Browns just because every other person is going to pick the 49ers. And if I get that you know point swing – more chance to cash in the six-week contest. So there's different ways to look at it. Obviously, the 49ers is an EV plus EV bet, unless you're trying to go contrarian. That's a, Yeah, that's game theory right there. Is it too early? If there wasn't a six-week contest, I wouldn't even consider the Yeah, players. yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's way too early to start strategizing like that for game theory-wise. But you're right, if you're trying to win a contest, and don't they have a week three to six contest yes. or a week four to six contest? So Yes. And you, you have a chance for that one. Right. Because yeah, this is the final week, yes. That's interesting. It's, it's a... So that's a debate you all have to have out there, but I'm sure the 49ers might be popular in survivor pools, uh, might be popular, especially with the line move in all the contests. I also just think they're going to cover this number. I don't think the Browns score at all in this game. No, they don't. I don't if, see it. If, I mean, if Nick Chubb was healthy, maybe, you know, sure, but I, I gave the stat. I on, think this is an under game, to be yeah. honest, yeah. in general. But I gave this the stat on the Dream Pod, too. 24-3, called it. That the, the Browns have had incredible success this season on running their running defense. The Browns defense has been historically great this season. They're allowing just 1.4 yards per attempt on runs this season without motion though. When teams use motion to run, the Browns are allowing 4.5 yards well, per attempt. Luckily and the, the 49ers, 49ers don't run motion, right? Well, they average 6 yards per attempt uh, on motion. Uh, They're like the most successful team doing it. So they do them and the Dolphins. Damn. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how uh how they, you know, unveil this offense here against the Browns defense. Panthers are at the aforementioned Miami Dolphins McKenzie. What's the spread here? Miami minus 13 and a half. 13 and a half total. 47 and a half. Okay. Uh, kind of feels like Miami picks their number in this one. I know Devon HN is out, but they still have so much talent and so much speed. And Bryce Young's done absolutely nothing to impress you this season. They're not even throwing the football down the field, which if you're losing by double digits against the Dolphins, don't you think you're going to have to try and attack yeah. down the field? And they can't. His longest completion is 30 yards this season. It's the lowest of any quarterback uh, uh, with 100 pass attempts. Bryce so. Young is the lowest in QBR, 32nd, lowest in PFF grade among the starters, 32nd. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been looking for a spot to fade Miami uh, because I, I do think they're overrated right now. I, well, wait till they play Buffalo again. Well, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they're being treated, and Fez has them third in his power ratings, which means they're an elite team, and it's hard for me to, to think of a team as elite. Hey, when We have them third. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's hard for me to consider them elite when they're below average on one side of the football. I, I just don't think Carolina is the team that can take advantage of it. I, I can't get there with them. I don't want to. I don't want to play the Dolphins here, but there's there's no way I'm taking like money that I've earned <laughs> to, and giving it to someone saying, "Please print me out a ticket on the Carolina Panthers." Yeah. No thanks. The Colts are at the Jaguars. What are we looking at for this one, McKenzie? On the DraftKings Sportsbook, the Jags are four-point favorites. The total is over under 44. To me, this is all about the Jags spending two weeks in London and now returning home without a bye. It's not just one week. They were two weeks away and then coming back. I think the spot is bad for Jacksonville, and it might be cliche to say 
But yes, I think Gardner Minshew gives the Colts a better chance to win. I, I don't think there's any question about that. First of all, Minshew, great, PFF grades Minshew 10 points higher than, than Richardson this season. But also from a matchup standpoint, and I talked about this exact same thing when Indy played Tennessee earlier this year. The way to beat Tennessee, throw the ball against them. Throw the ball. And it, I'd much rather have Gardner Minshew if I've got to throw the ball than Anthony Richardson. The, the way to beat the Jags is to throw the ball. They're a yeah. very good run defense. They're weak in the secondary. I much prefer having Gardner Minshew out there than Anthony Richardson, who still isn't taking or still wasn't taking deep shots down the field when he was healthy. Gardner Minshew's willing to take those shots. I think that gives him a good chance to to really get an outright win here. Yeah, Jags second against the run by EPA, third by success rate. So you got to beat him downfield. I'm not sure the Colts can though. Like, who are they throwing to? Who's Minshew going to go to? Yeah, that's a good point. The Saints are at the Texans. What's the spread in this one, Mac? The Saints are one-and-a-half-point road favorites over under 42 at Houston. It feels like an under game because every single game the Saints play goes under. All games they've played this season, now 11 straight unders going back to last season for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, and the Texans, uh, as good as C.J. Stroud's been, there's a couple of concerns for me here. First of all, they, they can't run the ball. And if you, if you play the Saints defense and you're one-dimensional, we saw it last week. I mean, they'll make you look bad. Last week it was a team. Are the Patriots one-dimensional or zero-dimensional? They're like half-dimensional, yeah, maybe. Zero-dimensional. Uh, but, it, 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 I mean, the Texans 32nd in DVOA for run offense. Uh, and Stroud, the lowest-graded quarterback in the league under pressure. So as good as C.J. Stroud's been, when you get in his face, he turns into a pumpkin, feels like the Saints are the kind of team that can get after him. I would agree with that. Uh, Patriots, speaking of the zero-dimensional team, at the Raiders, McKenzie. Patriots-Raiders was Raiders by three. It's currently off the board at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, is there some news, Scott, that might be affecting this, this I spread? I don't know if it's newsworthy because, like, they said that Mac Jones is going to start, but Greg Bedard from Boston Sports Journal is saying that the Patriots could turn to Will Greer if Mac Jones continues to struggle – Huh. And the 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 report says quote New England minus nine now. Well, it's just saying like like <laughs> I I don't know I don't think that they would make the this move now before the game. I think this report is more about if he struggles against the Raiders, then they'll make a quarterback change. But I don't think it affects. It shouldn't affect the spread going into this game. So we should now. see this pop back up at three, two and a half, right? Yeah, it, there, it's three in far off places. So it, that seems like the it, kind of the general line here. I, either way, I'm I'm got no interest in betting this game. Like I, this feels like yeah, this is the time to to back the Patriots. They've been embarrassed two straight weeks. They don't. They're not going to get embarrassed a third straight week. But I I think that this may just be a new age of the Patriots football, and they may just be dreadful and. Uh, they they may not win another game. And Mac Jones, as an underdog, three and thirteen in his career, the least profitable active underdog quarterback. Ugh, no no thanks. I, I, Belichick against Josh McDaniels, against Jimmy Garoppolo, against guys that he's familiar with. Jacoby Myers. I tend to lean to the under because I think the Patriots score almost none, and uh, particularly with Max Crosby playing the way he is. Um, but. Scott mentioned it on the pod. Like they don't have a lot of bodies right now on that defense either for the Patriots. The Patriots, who early in the season were at least looking decent because their defense was mm -hmm. okay. Now the last couple of games, it's hard to even trust that side of the ball. Cardinals at the Rams. What's the spread here, McKenzie? L.A. Rams minus seven. Total of forty-nine. This was my my one of my favorite stats that I found this week. 
The Cardinals they, suck. Okay. The, yeah, but the Rams' weakness being their offensive line, Arizona, they're 30th in pass rush win rate, one of the worst teams getting after the quarterback. They didn't touch Joe Burrow a week ago. And Stafford, when he's been under pressure, grades 24th out of 28 qualified quarterbacks. When he's clean, he grades 4th out of 28 qualified quarterbacks. Mm. If Stafford's going to be clean, I think that those receivers, he's got options against a a talent devoid Cardinals secondary. I, I think this this could get ugly. Eagles at the Jets. Show me how high this spread has gone, McKenzie. It's still at seven. Okay. Philly minus seven in New York. All right. We're actually okay New about that. Eagles are the number one team in the league against Rush. The, the, the number one Rush defense per DVOA. And the Jets just lost their best offensive lineman last week. So if if the so Zach Wilson season. If the Jets can <laughs> say, if the if the Eagles say we're going to take away Brees Hall, that means it's got to be Zach Wilson season, and I don't know that he can keep them in the game. So. Uh, even with an offense that hasn't quite clicked yet for the Eagles, it's still the only side I could look at here. Let's take a look at the Lions at the Buccaneers. What's the spread in this one? The Lions, road favorites, minus three. Got to pay a little extra, minus three, minus 120. Over, under 42. Boy, the Lions feel like they're legit, huh? Yeah, no doubt. They're one of only two teams in the league, top five in offensive and defensive DVOA, uh, them in Buffalo. But I, – this every Baker Mayfield game, I think you can you can check a stat and you'll know if Baker Mayfield can have success or not. Is he playing? Well, can't do it. <laughs> can you get pressure on Baker without blitzing? And the Lions, second lowest blitz rate in the league, eighth highest pressure rate. That feels like a nightmare scenario for Baker Mayfield, who when there's extra bodies out in the secondary and you're still getting pressure on him, he turns into a pumpkin. So uh, Lions getting healthier. Um, and the Tampa wins feel kind of fraudy. You know, they, they got dominated against Minnesota, won the turnovers. They beat the Bears because they won turnovers. They beat the Saints when Derek Carr, like, showed up at the building on Sunday and was like, I know I haven't practiced all week, but I feel like I could give it a go. He clearly shouldn't have been playing. And plus they got two, two turnovers in that game. Jared Goff's careful with the football. If the turnover look goes against him, I feel like this, this could be a runaway win for the Lions. I like the Lions quite a bit this week. And Sunday night football, the Giants at the Buffalo Bills, McKenzie. Up to 14 and a half at DraftKings Sportsbook. The Bills are favored over under 44 and a half. It's a high line, but Daniel Jones banged up with the neck injury. The Giants are not a good football team. We know that. And Daniel Jones does not perform well in primetime. You know, you talk about Kirk Cousins outside the window. Daniel Jones is worse when not playing at one o'clock Eastern time. The thing that I like, the bet that I like here is the bills in the first half. And the reason being is that the giants have only scored one touchdown in the first half this season. And that came last week on a 102 yard pick six. The offense has scored zero touchdowns in the first half this season. I don't think they do up in orchard park. Yeah. I worry a little bit about the bills laying a big number with all their injuries on defense. Uh, It feels like the bills have also been, the last few weeks, they're a team you can run on. And everything I'm reading, Saquon is going to be back this week. Is that what it looks like to you? No official word. He's still limited in practice. Well, I've been saying I will not bet on the Giants until I know Saquon Barkley's back uh, because the Giants offense is a complete joke without him. If there's no uh, sure thing here, I'll probably just pass the game. Yeah, that's how I feel. But again, that first half, Giants offense unable to do anything in the first half. So I think the Bills will cruise to a nice double-digit lead at the end of the first half. You're not worried about a hangover from the the London trip? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe later in the game, but I think that 
coming off of a if they would have won in London, maybe, but coming off of a loss, this is an angry team. Yeah, I wouldn't want to play the Bills when they're pissed off. No, and Josh Allen, very good record after a loss this season. So we want to talk about like, oh, last year it was the Giants under Brian very Dable. Good record after what is it, one and oh? Who was great after a loss. Uh <laughs> this, Josh this Allen season one and oh. Josh Allen undefeated. Uh, after a loss, 18-7 and seven straight up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he bounces back well. You know, every once in a while, I'll be sitting at home and saying, what are we going to cook for dinner? What are we going to cook for? It? My wife says, I don't know. And then guess what happens? Omaha Steaks comes by and drops meat off on my front porch and makes all the decisions that much easier, Scott. Meat to your front porch? Can't beat it, baby. Doesn't get better than that. I had the meatballs last night, and... They were delicious, man. It was easy to cook, reheat in the oven, and bang, dinner is served. It's steaks, it's chicken, it's pork chops, it's it's it meatballs, like you said. They've got sides, so much great stuff. Guys, they've got a great sale going on right now. The Omaha Steaks semi-annual sale is here. It's a sale so nice, they only do it twice. Score mouth-watering savings on all your Omaha Steaks favorites with 50% off site-wide during that semi-annual sale going on right now. From tender, juicy steaks to big, beefy burgers, scrumptious sides, decadent desserts and so much more now's the perfect time to grab all your favorites plus get an extra 30 dollars off when you use our promo code vegas at checkout and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money back guarantee simply go to omahasteaks.com and shop the semi-annual sale today that's omahasteaks.com promo code vegas at checkout minimum purchase may apply listen we get it you're busy you got work to do kids to take care of Got to get to the gym at some point. And make sure you're drinking enough water and figuring out what's for dinner is a whole nother project. Yeah, point is, you're busy. You don't have time for 10 minutes of commercials or scripted dating segments on your morning commute. That's why we created The Morning Show Podcast. I'm Carla Marie. My name is Anthony, and The Morning Show Podcast is a daily podcast aimed at keeping you informed and entertained in under 25 minutes. We kick off every show with the core four. It's the four biggest news stories that you should probably be aware of. And then we continue on with music games, pop culture news. And of course, what's trending, the thing you didn't know you needed until Carla Marie told you about it. Yeah, it's my favorite. You can get the Morning Show podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your shows. For the second straight season, the Phillies have eliminated the Atlanta Braves in the NLDS and are headed to the NLCS. 3-1 last night, Phillies beating the Braves. Nick Castellanos was the man of the hour as he homered not once, but twice, becoming the first player in baseball history to have back-to-back multi-home run games in the postseason, something that he was asked about kind of after the game. Nick, nobody in Major League history has hit two home runs on back-to-back postseason games, but you just did, and you guys are headed to the NLCS. Where's the question on that? There's no question. Thank you for telling me. I I thought you'd be happy with that. Uh, I am, man, but we got eight more wins. This is why you have to love Nick Castellanos. (laughs) I mean, and, and a lesson to all you future broadcasters out there. Ask a question! Don't just say something to the guy. Ask a question. But, yeah, Castellanos with the two homers last night. Uh, Austin Riley got the scoring starting for the started for the Braves with a homer in the fourth. But then Castellanos homered, uh, Trey Turner homered in the fifth, an inning later, and then Castellanos again in the sixth. The Braves had a chance uh, late in the game. It was bases loaded in the seventh inning. And this was, like, uh, interesting. Kevin Pillar's on third base. 
There's two outs. Ronald Acuna is up. You get the MVP up with two outs in the in the top of the seventh inning. Bases loaded. Kim Craig Kimball's on the mound because Rob Thompson went to his bullpen real early. I mean, the way that Rob Thompson has utilized his bullpen in this series, I, I think it's just a tremendous job. And you wonder, the Yankees had Rob Thompson on their bench for all those years and just said, nah, we don't want him as the manager. Uh, but he went to Sir Anthony Dominguez early, and then Alvarado, Kimbrell, Soto, and Strom is what he used to finish this game. So Kimbrell's on the mound. He throws a wild pitch. Goes completely past uh, Real Muto to the backstop. Kevin Pillar on third literally is halfway down the line and then retreats back to third base. He would have scored. It would have been a 3-2 game. But the MVP is up. Do you run the risk of getting thrown out at home? Or do you let the guy bat and keep bases loaded so that they don't just walk Ronald Acuna there in that spot and then maybe, you know, leave it up to Ozzy Albies or whoever. I think you let you let the MVP hit. I think you let the MVP hit as well. He's probably good at baseball. He's very good at baseball. And what does Acuna do? He blasts a shot to deep center field, and this happens. Acuna, fly ball, left center field. On the run is Rojas, and he makes the catch. Rojas was a little shaky, but he hauls it in. The inning is over. That was the call on TBS. Rojas with a leaping catch against the wall in left center field as the inning comes to a close. And that was the best threat that the Braves had. They actually did have first and third in the ninth inning. But Matt Stram, uh, Matt Stram came in, comes in and closes it out. 3-1 final. The Phillies are back in the NLCS where they will face the Arizona Diamondbacks. And there's been a lot of people that are critical of the Major League Baseball postseason format now with the extra wild cards because looking at the four remaining teams in the Phillies, Diamondbacks, Astros, and Rangers, it's the lowest win total that we've had in a final four in Major League Baseball postseason history. Well, it's got to be the rules to blame. People are saying that it, the whole the idea that you have a week off for these top teams, it's not fair because baseball is a sport where they play every day and they shouldn't have to sit around and wait for an opponent to play. Here's my counter for that. The Dodgers had no pitching. They beat up on a lot of bad teams this year. They beat up on the Rockies. I'm not saying the Dodgers weren't a great team. The Dodgers are a very great team. But Clayton Kershaw, who always sucks in the postseason, got rocked in game one. In game two, they lost to Zach Gowan, who top three National League Cy Young, yeah. right? And then Lance Lynn is forced to pitch in game three for you, and he gives up four home runs in one inning. But, yeah, the week off is why they lost. That's, that was what it was. Okay. Uh, the Orioles, a team with zero playoff experience, like Aaron Hicks has playoff experience. That's about it, right? No one on that team. They're all young. Managers not used to doing it. They lose to the Rangers, who – we're one of the best offenses in all of Major League Baseball this season. But maybe the week off is why they lost, right? And then there's the Braves, who for some reason, Brian Snicker changes his lineup in game one from the lineup that was the best scoring offense in baseball the entire season. He decides to, to swap a little Albies and, and Riley and, oh, let's go with Acuna and then Riley two and then Albies four. Like, okay. 
Why don't we change? Let's change what worked for us. So they lose game one with an unfamiliar lineup. They don't score. Game two, they actually win. They come from behind and win. So week off didn't hurt them there. And then Bryce Elder with zero game, zero playoff experience, loses game three. And then in game four, the Phillies used all of their elite bullpen arms early in the game. And the, the Braves lose. The week off is not the reason why these teams lose in the postseason. You lose in the postseason because of pitching. Whether it's bullpen or starting pitching, the teams with the better pitching win in the postseason. And if you're the Phillies and you can do what you – I understand. It was it was Spencer Strider against Ranger Suarez. And you know what? They were pretty even for a while until the fifth inning, right? It was 1-1 going to the fifth inning. And then a clutch home run by Trey Turner, another one by Nick Castellanos, and then the Phillies used Sir Anthony Dominguez, who would be a closer – on any team in Major League Baseball. Jose Alvarado, who would be a closer on any team in Major League Baseball. Craig Kimbrell, one of the best closers in the last decade, plus in Major League Baseball. Gregory Soto, who was a closer and would be a closer in any team in Major League Baseball. They literally used four closers to finish out this game. Four elite bullpen arms. Don't give me shit about the Braves having a week off as the reason why they only scored one run. Pitching matters, and the Phillies had better pitching than the Atlanta Braves. Imagine a world where, like, an NFL team lost in the playoffs after having a bye in the first round and then said, ah, we were just rusty. Like, who would say that? Um, Mackenzie, think about this, if the, and because the, that, they don't play every day, so maybe it's different. But imagine an NBA team got a first-round bye in the playoffs, didn't have to play the eight seed for a full series, right? and then lost to the winner of the 4-5 matchup. Do you think they'd say, man, no, we they, wish we would have played those extra games? Look at the best player that played the worst, call him a choker, and then talk about him like shit offseason. Yeah, it's it's a very strange thing. It, it, like, By the way, big deal. The, the top teams are out. It, like to me, it kind of makes the playoffs a little more interesting. Anybody can win. Yeah, anybody. This Play is what baseball. This is what what sports typically want is parity. Like you want everybody to have a chance, and you can. There's a really reasonable explanation. Like the Braves played like trash from the last month of the season. It's not like they went in hot. The Dodgers had no pitching. Yep. The Orioles were a, a completely playoff inexperienced mm-hmm. team. It makes sense for all of these teams to have struggled in the in this postseason. And by the way, the, the benefit that you get for being the number one seed, you have the home field advantage, and by not playing in a wild card series, you get to set up your starting pitching. Yep. So the Orioles in game one of their series had Kyle Bradish pitching. The Braves in game one of their series had Spencer Strider pitching. The Dodgers in game one of their series had Clayton Kershaw pitching. And you know what the common uh, denominator was between the Phillies? The Diamondbacks and the Rangers, neither of the three had their ace pitching in those games, yeah. and yet all three of them won those games. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not the week off. Let's take a look now at the championship series, which begin on Sunday. The Rangers and the Astros will do battle in Houston. It'll be Justin Verlander on the hill for the Astros. That's what we know for a fact. And for the Rangers, it's uh, undecided just yet, but we do believe it could be Dane Dunning uh, going in, or Jordan Montgomery in game one. what uh, What the Rangers are saying is... Max Scherzer may be available. Well, that would for be the huge. ALCS. That would be huge if Scherzer can give, just give a couple innings, right? Yeah. 
That would be unbelievable. And then on Monday, it'll be game one of the National League Championship Series between the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. Here's the odds for those series right now. In the uh, ALCS, the Astros are minus 140. Rangers plus 120 on the comeback. NLCS, Phillies minus 170. Diamondbacks plus 145. Do we get a rematch of last year's World Series? I think we get the rematch, yeah. Astros, Phillies? That's where I'm feeling. Okay. Uh, Astros are the favorite to win the World Series at plus 180. Phillies plus 200. Yeah. I, mean, I think those that's the two teams. Uh, those are the teams that have been there. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they've got playoff experience. They, that's the kind of teams I'm looking to back. Um, so, yeah, it's it, I, I feel like I've been saying Phillies win the World Series, but, mm-hmm. man, when it comes down to it, like, are the Astros going to lose? I don't yeah. know. It's hard. It's hard to see. College football, 50 days, 50 days straight of football. We've talked about it, and it continues, friends. A couple games that we had finish up last night. I I split my two bets last night. There's been some debate on this show, at least not on this (laughs) show, but off air on this show, whether or not I had a bad beat. Um, You guys can be the judge. You can check out the Houston-West Virginia game. I feel West Virginia minus two and a half, bad beat. We'll see what Scott Van Pelt thinks. That'll be the deciding factor. Look, I'm sure it's going to be a bad beat. I'm sure it was a bad beat on his show last night because, like, yeah, like, if if you're covering and the team gets a Hail Mary on the final play of the game to beat you – it's uh, they anyone would consider it a bad beat. Thank you. But if you just like watched the game, it wasn't. Uh, you were only covering for twelve seconds. Mackenzie, fourth quarter win share with a team that is up by eleven as a three point underdog, two and a half point Thank underdog. You. Thank you. And they're up by eleven with four minutes left in the game. They win the game ninety five percent of the time. Okay, now let's just say they're they're two and a half point dogs. And they're up by what four? With they were up by three. Up by three. Yeah, so up by because they went for two. Right. They're up by three. They're two and a half point dogs. There's 12 seconds left. The other team has a uh, not 12 seconds. It was like 30 seconds left. But it's a fourth and ten at the 50 yard line. No timeouts left. Same percentage, 95. percent You win that game. Okay. You got a 50 yard touchdown on a fourth and ten at the 50 yard line. To cover with 12 seconds left in the game. Yep. And then, yes, you lost on a Hail Mary. Back to pass. Donovan Smith. Smith steps up in the pocket, unloads it, throws it all the way downfield into the end zone. Tipped. And it is caught. Caught by the Cougars. Caught for a touchdown. Unbelievable. Caught by Stephon Johnson. The ball was tipped up in the air. And the Cougars win the game on the final play. Unreal. Unreal! The Cougars' first ever Big 12 conference win. Audio courtesy of the the Houston Cougars radio network. So uh, I, I I could say the both sides. You know how Fez always says. You know how Fez always says like. No one should have lost this game. Like you, no matter what number, everyone should have won on this game. Everyone should have had a bad beat on that game last <laughs> night. <laughs> Disgusting. Disgusting. Uh, I'm congrats, congrats to the Cougs. Though I do have a uh, a season win total over on UH. I thought I thought was dead, and I'd kind of given up on. So I was willing to bet against them this week. As soon as they lost to Rice, I was like, "Oh, that's that's dead." But now, maybe what's the name for the opposite of a bad beat? Because with every bad beat, there's it's a a fortunate victory, right? Total over, yeah, a fortunate victory. Uh, 
the other game, SMU, which was one of the best bets I gave out on the college football pod, which you could still go listen to. It's on RJ Bell's Dream Preview Network. Uh, one of the best bets we gave out was SMU minus 12, and it was an easy winner, 31-10. Although, I shouldn't say an easy winner. They were up 14 nothing in the first, and then I, I was saying, oh, this is going to be an easy winner. But then SMU took some time off from scoring, and it was 14-10. Didn't score anything in the third quarter. And I'm like, oh, boy, man, they're missing field goals. They put up 17 points in the fourth, 31-10 win. So uh, cruise to an easy cover. Three <laughs> games tonight, Tulane and Memphis. Tulane is minus four and a half on the road at Memphis. This feels like a spot where Memphis may be live here. Four and one, one and zero oh in the in the American. This is two of the top teams in the American here. Uh, Memphis as a home dog is intriguing to me, even though I do t- Tulane's better than I thought they were going to be. Uh, Fresno minus four at Utah State. Who I have to, I think I'm going to have to admit, Utah State is better than I thought they were. Mm-hmm. I thought early this season Utah State was like one of the three or four worst teams in the country. I, I was just wrong. Like they, I don't know how they're not. Uh, they lost all their players. Which, by the way, I, I was looking at uh, some college basketball notes yesterday, prepping for the, the upcoming season, and Utah State's basketball team is like I talked about Utah State losing all their players. Utah State returns zero points scored from last year's team. Wow. No players who scored a point for them are back, which is insane. Mm. Uh, But I still think I lean to Fresno minus four on the road here. Fresno, a much better team, five and one. This feels like a good spot for them. Uh, And then Stanford at Colorado. Colorado, 11 and a half point favorites against the worst team in the Pac-12. Colorado has to cover this game tonight, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Deion Sanders was critical of the Pac-12 scheduling right? because of the start time for this game, which means they cannot afford to either lose or not play well. Because well, they've got an excuse, a built-in excuse. You don't want – you think Dion wants the excuse? They well, I mean, want, he wants to win, but he'd they, much rather lose with an excuse than lose they, without one. They want, to, they want to avoid making it look like they're making excuses. So they go and made it personal. What like what's the big deal about playing at what is it eight o'clock eight on a o'clock, Friday yeah. night? What are we gonna do with the kids all day? They're all running around in the back of the bus. <laughs> I just like, think that he doesn't want, he doesn't want it to come down to excuses. He wants it. He wants to be like they tried to make the game at eight o'clock, and we go made it personal. And they still have to and beat him anyway. Uh, the over under in this game six zero sixty. Stanford going to help at all? Uh, well, yeah, they're playing Colorado's defense. Yeah. Um, but you got to feel like if this gets to 60, then Colorado's probably done their job. Okay. Uh, taking a look at a couple of the big games that are on tap for this weekend. Again, you want all, all the games, all the top 25 games at least, check out the college football podcast that we did. But a couple of big games in the Pac-12, or at least featuring Pac-12 teams this weekend. And let's start with Oregon and Washington, which is – Possibly, potentially, a battle for the uh, maybe the driver's seat in a playoff spot for the Pac-12, and very well could be the driver's seat for the Heisman Trophy winner. But uh, whoever wins this game, I, I, yep. I, could, I could argue they'd be the favorite, right? Uh-huh. I think home field has to matter in this one. Uh, I think Oregon has 
on a neutral, this would be one hell of a game. I still think it's going to be one hell of a game. Uh, Oregon is right up there as far as the way I, I, I watch the offensive and defensive lines play. It's a revenge spot. Washington went into Eugene and won last year by a field goal, 37-34, and it kind of feels like that type of game once again. But if you recall, in that game last year, Oregon was up 34 to 27 in the fourth quarter. Washington scored a touchdown with three minutes left and then got the field goal with under a minute left to win the game. So was it a bad beat for Oregon? Oh, okay. Wasn't a bad beat. Funny how we pick and choose. Funny how we pick and choose. Elsewhere in the Pac-12, at least half Pac-12, we've got Notre Dame and USC. Notre Dame, a three-point home favorite over the unbeaten USC Trojans. And I think what I said last week after the USC uh, triple overtime win against Arizona when I said this is a fraudulent team, looks like the betting market kind of agrees, right? Yeah, USC gets pushed into overtime by Arizona. Their defense is— Arizona with a backup quarterback. Exactly. Their defense is allowing way too many points this season. Notre Dame's defense should be able to keep them in the game against USC— and this might be a game where finally Sam Hartman plays like Sam Hartman. Uh, he should be able to throw. Everyone else has been able to throw against USC, so I don't see why not. And it's almost like it, it's it's the kitchen sink game for Notre Dame. You lose this one, the season's over. I mean, they're not going to the college World playoff anyway, but still, like a, a loss to uh, Ohio State's not bad and a loss to an undefeated Louisville team. Doesn't look that bad on the road. You lose to USC. Now you have three losses. Then you're staring at going to Clemson in a couple of weeks as well. You have to win this game to salvage your season. If you're Notre Dame and you finish the year with only two losses, you're still going to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And for the rest of the top 25 games, again, check out R.J. Bell's Dream Preview, the college football show that we did uh, where we went over every top 25 game, plus gave out some best bets as well. Let's take a look at the NHL schedule coming up here for today as we are three, four days into the start of the regular season. Our defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights are 2-0 and to start this season. Here's just two games on the schedule for tonight. The Coyotes are at the Devils, New Jersey, a minus 250 favorite. Jersey winning yesterday over the Red Wings 4-3, to a low-scoring game early on, but then saw two goals late in the game as there was a four-on-four situation with the Devils up 3-2. to two. Red Wings pulled the goaltender, so the Devils got the empty net goal. And then the Red Wings pushed a goal in with about 30-somewhat seconds left to make this a 4-3 final. So if you had the over 6.5 like myself, a little bit of a nice lucky win there. Hey, we'll take it for the amount of bad beats that we're going to see this season. We're going to get some lucky wins as well. So the Devils win 4-3 over the Red Wings last night. In that game, Vitek Vanacek made 32 saves. It'll likely be Akira Schmid in net for the Devils tonight as the Coyotes will begin their 2023 campaign. Carol Vamelka will be in net for the Coyotes. The Penguins will be at the Capitals in Pittsburgh, a minus 120 favorite in this one. And Pittsburgh is expected to go with Tristan Jari in net, who lost the opener when Pittsburgh fell to the Blackhawks 4-2. to 
That was the NHL opening night. That was Connor Bedard's debut. Tristan Jari did make 30, 32 saves, excuse me, 35 shots against. He allowed three goals to the Chicago Blackhawks, and then Chicago got an empty netter as well. So he'll look for revenge here in game two for the Penguins as the Capitals will play their first game of the season. Darcy Kemper expected to get the start in net for the Capitals. Again, Pittsburgh minus 120 total of six and a half in both of these games tonight you know every once in a while i'll be sitting at home and saying what are we going to cook for dinner what are we going to cook for my wife says i don't know and then guess what happens omaha steaks comes by and drops meat off on my front porch and makes all the decisions that much easier scott meat to your front porch can't beat it baby. doesn't get better than that i had the meatballs last night and they were delicious, man. It was easy to cook, reheat in the oven, and bang, dinner is served. It's steaks, it's chicken, it's pork chops, it's it's it meatballs, like you said. They've got sides, so much great stuff. Guys, they've got a great sale going on right now. The Omaha Steaks semi-annual sale is here. It's a sale so nice, they only do it twice. Score mouth-watering savings on all your Omaha Steaks favorites with 50% off site-wide during that semi-annual sale going on right now. From tender, juicy steaks to big, beefy burgers, scrumptious sides, decadent desserts and so much more now's the perfect time to grab all your favorites plus get an extra $30 off when you use our promo code Vegas at checkout and every purchase is backed by their unconditional money back guarantee simply go to omahasteaks.com and shop the semi-annual sale today that's omahasteaks.com promo code Vegas at checkout minimum purchase may apply what's good everybody I'm Gerard Hector host and executive producer of the true hoop podcast You can catch me and the godfather of basketball player development, Coach David Thorpe, every Monday and Thursday talking all things NBA. I talked to a player recently who made a jump shot with like one or two seconds to go in the game because of point differential. And he had to think about it for a minute. And he's like, I let that bitch fly. Boom, he made it. He was happy. (laughs) Whatever. Search for the True Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Rate and review us. That's T-R-U-E-H-O-O-P. Catch us every Monday and Thursday. Take care. All right, welcome back to Straight Out of Vegas AM, and we are joined by one of the men who is fighting on UFC Fight Night, Yusuf versus Barboza. He's on the main card. Adrian Yanez. Adrian, how are you, brother? Man, I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Houston's own Adrian Yanez, by the way. Uh, so here's where I wanted to start, and this isn't the most fun start to a conversation with a fighter, but you were on top of the world. You were one of the the big rising prospects in this division and you got your first real big test against Rob Font against like a guy who is widely respected as one of the best in the world and it was a firefight early uh didn't go your way your first UFC loss when you left the cage that night what was what was your mindset what like obviously obviously there's going to be disappointment but did you instantly start taking lessons from it? Did you start to pick apart what you did wrong? Walk me through the, the post-mortem of that fight. Oh, yeah, immediately the post-mortem started immediately. Like, as soon as the ref uh, ref stepped in, I looked at the ref. I was like, hey, good, good stoppage, man. No, no, uh, no, uh, no complaints here. Just got up, and I was just like, fuck, I fucked up. Like, yeah, and I was like, that was me just the whole entire night walking around. Once once they gave once they I was out the cage, I was walking back, I was pissed off at myself, started rewatching once I was like, 
got checked out by a doctor. I already started rewatching the fight. Like I think I rewatched like about ten, fifteen times. Like no, nah, I'm I'm gonna rewatch this. I gotta see what, what and where it went wrong. And I, while I was watching, I saw, I saw things that I needed to clean clean up and clear up. And uh, yeah, it was it was still a hard process because again that like I knew the stage that I was at and I knew the opponent like how high caliber the opponent was, the height, like the high stage it was, biggest pay per view of the year you know so far. Yeah, so I, like I knew like the like everything that was behind it. So like I was like really hurt by it like mentally. But then you know going back on the technical side, I was able to break down and see what I was doing wrong. And then like in the technical aspect, I also rubbed into the mental aspect because I kind of got away from my game plan very early. So yeah, it took it took a, it took a minute. It took it, it literally took me like like maybe five minutes for me to just be like. Let me see what I'm doing wrong. Like once I got backstage and like the doctors cleared me and like uh, checked me out, I just started rewatching the fight. Just started uh, rewatching the fight, trying to see what I, what I was doing wrong. You know, so, and, and it kind of exemplified what I was what I had already thought. You know, and the good and the good spots that I had in the first minute, you know, it was like like it was on. It kind of proved something to me, but also at the same time, I can't keep I couldn't keep making the mistakes the mistakes I was getting away with early on in my career. Do you think that being on that stage, like you said, being a huge pay-per-view, your first like big time opponent, that maybe you got amped up more than you you should have been, like you got outside yourself a little bit? Uh, I, it, that could have been a factor, but again, I, I, I've I've done it in past fights. Uh, I've done it in past fights where I would kind of go a little bit too crazy, and then and in a sense of like crazy is like I would lose the te- like I would lose technique while I'm trying to swing as hard as I can. And trying to put the guy's lights out for good. So, like I've done that before. I did that against uh, Tony Kelly just the fight before. You know, like I I was looking technical all up until the point where it's like it started getting a little bit like, oh, I got him hurt. I'm gonna put a like I'm gonna put a stop to him. So I was able to give get away with it with somebody who's not nearly as talented as Rob Font or right. nearly at that level of a Font. So I can't do that against these guys who are super high level. So it made me like bring that back. So. uh I wouldn't say I, w- I would probably say that might be a factor, but at the same time, it was on the technical aspect of me. I'm not going to try to put anything like not going to try to point blame at anything else. Well, you get a I don't want to say a step back, but it's it's a, a lesser name here in Jonathan Martinez, but also a dangerous dude, uh, a guy who like you, we talked about you coming in with all this bluster off of the the contender series. This is a guy who came into the UFC with very little hype behind him, but got a couple wins and uh, has really kind of changed his game recently since the Davy Grant loss. It seems like he, he's become more aggressive. Uh, t- tell me what you see about Jonathan Martinez that, that makes him a, uh, a gettable opponent for you. Man, honestly, like the, the aggression on his, on his part, uh, the aggression on his part, he's going to be a little bit, uh, overzealous and again I, I am a one of a bigger name you know especially like after five fights in the UFC skyrocketed performance bonus every single time uh, so yeah he's gonna look to make a name off me you know and he's gonna come out of, if I he would come out a little bit aggressive if he saw the fun fight he would try to try he would try to take some some things from that fight you know try to try to make it a clinch battle or try to make it a kicking battle um, but yeah no I think I think he'll come out a little bit aggressive, but at the same time, if he does, I think that's his downfall on his side because I love countering and I love doing it and I love making every shot count. 
and especially me going back to the super basics, you know, working with uh, uh, Michael Chase Corley, uh, making sure that I got my base underneath me, like making sure that everything that I that I throw is thrown with it with an intent, but also being within my base. And I've noticed that my power has gotten gotten hard, like a lot harder. Like everything's been, uh, everything has a lot more snap snap to it. So, like if he comes in, and again, I'm the counter guy, you know. I don't see how that that works out for him. So it seems like the weapon that he's leaned on in this in this positive run has been leg kicks, and mm-hmm. he he's chewed up some guys with leg kicks. As a, I know your background is more boxing than kickboxing, but like when you go against a guy who has a, a heavy leg kicking game, what's what's the strategy that you that you go against that with? Man, it's it's never gonna be a fun night fighting a guy who's gonna look to calf kick, look to kick and punch, uh, and try to put you out with with the kicks, man. Uh, fought a heavy kicker in Kyle Estrada in that fight. I was super heavy on my front leg, still walking him down, still going through it, trying uh, putting it on him for for three rounds. So, uh, <clears throat> I it would probably be a little bit more of the same game plan, but like a lot more tactical, a little bit lighter on my front foot, like. You know, a little bit more bounce because that one I was like super flat-footed, just walking towards him. I kind of stayed in kicking range a little bit too much for that fight, but uh, but no, like it's like it's like it's not going to be a fun fight if he lands like four, or five kicks in a row to the, to the legs. You know, it's not going to be a fun fight. I'll I'll you know I'll power through it, but you know it's not what I want to do. That's not the game plan. I gotta gotta make sure I put him out and counter off of it. When you when you were you know, after the font fight, before you accepted this fight, was this the first fight they offered your way? Was this the first name that came out at you? Or did you like, did you let the guys know, Hey, I want to take a little bit of time off. I want to get, get my mind right, get my game right. What what was the process between these two fights? Uh, so like, like, so before the font fight, you're talking about the gap that I had. I'm or- talking about since the font fight to this fight, like oh, okay. what? What was what was the like? Did you tell them, hey, I I, I don't want to get back in right away, or hey, was it was Martinez the first name they threw at you? Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a it was a mixture of things. I didn't get a name until like probably like at till like the end of July, like, and I was like, like I was pretty much just like asking for a fight every week or every every couple of days. I was just asking for a fight. Like, hey guys, like because my timeline, I wanted to do it at the end of August. Uh, middle of September, you know, that's, that was, that was my timeline, but, uh, things don't work out the way, always work out the way you want, want them to. And then they offered Jonathan Martinez and, uh, first, first, because they they were saying October 14th, I was like, look, I, I, I need a fight soon. I need a fight. I want to fight in August or September. Like I want to, like, I want to get, like, I want to get in there as soon as possible. Uh, but then, uh, at at the end of it, it ended up just being all right. Cool. I'm just gonna go ahead and take Jonathan Martinez October 14th because if I can't do September October, I'm not gonna wait till December to fight. So I'm gonna I'm gonna fight in October. So you were asking to fight, and they just didn't have anything for you up until this one. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's pretty much how this fight ended up going. Talk about the the training camp. I know since that font fight. Uh, one of your one of your best training partners, Cameron Smotherman, had his appearance on the Contender Series. It didn't go his way, but like how, how much of your time was taken with getting him ready for that? And then since that fight, what's the, what's the training been like for you? <laughs> uh, so that like, it actually kept me in the gym. It, it kept me in the gym. Uh, once I got, 
was able to add some contact uh, once I got cleared by the doctors to 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 go full on. Uh, I was in the gym almost every single day. Uh, every single day I was there, I was trying to go out there and help and help him. So it really didn't take too much away from me because again, you know, if you know Cameron, that guy is always trying. That guy's always trying to knock people out. Always trying to go out there and like make sure he doesn't get taken down and all that stuff. So for me, like it actually helped me out because it helped me work on my wrestling. I also had a, I was helping. I was helping a lot, a lot of, a lot of the guys that fought in, fought in August. I was helping a lot of those guys out. So like, I wasn't out the gym completely. Like, I was wasn't really even taking time off. I got back into the gym, was out there helping everybody out. So it like it was actually like a kind of a blessing on my end, uh, blessing on my end, just because I stayed in the gym. It made me stay active and it made me, you know, continue to learn. It put me back on a on on a routine pretty quickly and pretty easily. So it was a smooth transition, like a uh, smooth transition going from like helping to getting in my own camp let's talk about the difference between fighting in the apex and fighting in a pay-per-view arena like do you you have a preference like what's it what's the uh what's the difference to you because as some as like someone who's seen fights in both those venues it feels like it's night and day like you're there's your opponent can hear your coaches as well as you can i mean it's a it's a really a weird thing fighting in this apex right oh yeah 100 percent. it's super weird uh Luckily for me, I had five fights in the Apex, and I'm very comfortable there. Uh, the one, the like, it, it, it was a weird feeling fighting in front of fans because I couldn't hear my coaches. Because uh, I was like, oh man, five fights in the UFC, I haven't, like, I haven't had this crowd, and then now I can't hear my coaches. I think in the Tony Kelly fight, I can slowly, I could barely hear them, but I can faintly hear them and all that stuff. But other than that, like in the Apex, man, it's it's. I don't know. It feels like another sparring session for me. Like it feels like an, a really intense sparring session, and I kind of like that. Like it feels really comfortable going uh, going into there, like and fighting, you know. So, like it makes me really excited going back there. You know, uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, UFC people, like the the workers, were calling me uh, Apex Adrian in the back, you know, because I was I fought there like five times back to back to back to back. Now there are a couple bantamweight fights on this card before you. Are you the kind of guy who like you you're just in the back locked in on your thing or do you do you check these guys out and and you know start start your early scouting Sp- specifically you know the the Cameron Simon and uh and Christian Rodriguez fight which looks like these are kind of up and coming guys who you may see along the way someday huh Oh yeah I'll probably watch their fights afterwards um like as soon as I get there man I'm just like I just lock in try to tune in but I usually keep my eyes on the guys who are in my weight division anyway, so uh, probably after the fight, I'll probably take a little bit more keen look and see who, what, like how their fights went, you know, because I, I know they'll be up there in the future. As a uh, as a fan of the sport, when you see okay, this is the card I'm on, and you see oh, Edson Barboza is in the main event, like is that cool for you? Is that like and particularly at the apex, like once you're done fighting, you can go sit out in the crowd, and it's like you get to watch Edson Barboza's sparring session, if you will. Like, is that, is that something that you like, you get excited about? Like seeing the, the, the legends of the sport on the same card as you? Oh yeah. 100%. Like it, it made me, like, I, I was super excited. Cause uh, I was like, well, everybody's like, man, you should be the co-main event. You should, you should be doing this. Like you should be like a uh, co-main event. I'm like, bro, I, I know what I want to do. I was like, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to fight, do all my interviews, knock all those out jump back and watch uh, Edson Barbosa and uh, Sadiq Yusuf uh, fight. That's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do because I know, I know exactly, like, I know exactly it's going to be a great fight. 
it's a great main event, so I want to go out there and watch it. So, yeah, like I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited, you know, because again, uh, a, a, a veteran, a legend in the game, and then you got the up and comer uh, Sadiq Yusuf in there, you know. So it's like I'm happy to see uh, both of them share that main event spot. All right, let's talk about the the odds for your fight. You're a slight underdog here. Uh, something you haven't been in a while. Like, so you're basically even money now. He's getting about minus 120. Do you feel like that's uh, some recency bias with you coming off a loss? He's on this nice little run. Do you think people are starting to doubt you? And does that add anything to any fuel to your fire? Oh, yeah, man. It it, it really doesn't do anything for me because, you know, the fight's the fight, you know? So, uh no, it is what it is on my end. I really don't care. I can't battle myself anyway, so <laughs> so there's, there's no point in me even trying to look at the odds. So I know when we talked to you before the Rob Font fight, you were like, this fight, and then I'm headed to, like, you You had this plan in your mind for a title run. Obviously, that the, mm-hmm. the timeline on that changed a little, but is that, like, what's it like for you now? Is that still something you see happening in the next two, three years? What's What's the game plan for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I do see that in my future. Like I, I see it happening, and I see it happening. I, especially with how the division is now, it possibly can be earlier than two, two, three years. You know, so uh, a dominant win over Jonathan, then a dominant win over the next opponent in the top ten might be enough to put me there. You know, because it's just a crazy division at the moment. So yeah, it is what it is. Might take, might take one, might take four. You know, I'm just here for all of it. You know, because it's inevitable for me to get there. Well, one of the most exciting fighters on the card. The chances are good you're going to get plenty of opportunities because you do always put on a show. Hopefully, you uh, get to put on one uh, tomorrow night uh, at the Apex. You can see that on ESPN Plus. It's UFC Fight Night: Barbosa versus uh, Yusuf Sadiq Yusuf. This is like. I, I think this is a real opportunity for you to like get back on a roll and, and you know start start the the second act. I I, I really do. I, I thought that font fight was sort of your your jump off point to like superstardom. Uh, I was surprised at the way it went. Obviously, I, I know you were as well. But this feels like the right next step for you to get back on that path. Oh yes, absolutely. I'm under the same mindset myself. Well, always appreciate the time, Adrian. Uh, I know you got a lot going on. It's a big day for you, but uh, thanks for taking some time for us, and hopefully we get to talk to you before your next fight, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Thank you, AJ. You have a good one, All right, you too, Adrian. Take care. So there you go, UFC Vegas 81 tomorrow night. Thanks to Adrian Yanez for uh, for joining us on the program. I'll give a best bet. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a total and this is a fight between Edgar Jarez and Daniel Lacerda. I'm going to go under one and a half rounds, pay some juice on this, about minus 190. But I made this exact bet about three, four weeks ago, and a quick trigger finger for a ref stopped the fight early, so they called it a no contest. They're running it back here. Daniel Lacerda is 0-4 in the UFC. Most guys don't get to 0-4 in the UFC. The reason he gets opportunities is because he starts fights like he's got somewhere to be, like his hair's on fire. Hmm. He is a got a kill or be killed mentality. He is very violent offensively and has almost no defensive skills. Uh, he gets very, very hit. 17 fights he's been in. He's been past the halfway point of round two twice in his career. He's never been to a third round. Again, this is another it's – a, it's a juiced prop to the under – but it's for very good reason. Edgar Jairez, Daniel Lacerda, under 
one and a half rounds. That is not the only organized violence that we'll see this weekend <laughs> as we've got celebrity boxing. Uh, Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis will take uh, well, they'll, they'll be boxing and then KSI and Tommy Fury. So if you're willing to pay for the pay-per-view or if you illegally stream it, which I would never <laughs> say you should do, but th- those two fights, the, the, Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis yesterday, things got heated at a press conference. Dylan Dennis uh, hit Lo- Logan Paul threw a water bottle at Dylan Dennis. Dylan Dennis then decided to hit Logan Paul with the microphone, apparently making him bleed. Logan Paul says the fight's still on. It just got more personal. I mean, I don't know how much more personal it could be. Dylan Dennis has done nothing but talk about yeah. Logan Paul being. Uh, Engaged to a a whore, as he calls her. Uh, so it, hey, she's a nice lady. Feels like it should already uh, be a, a personal thing, uh, but you know, it, well, if this turns it up a notch, so be it. Uh, Logan Paul minus six fifty. Wow. Dylan Dennis plus four ten on the comeback, and in the main event, Tommy Fury minus three eighty. KSI plus two seventy. I wish I could tell you anything about the skills of KSI and Logan Paul and Dylan Dennis and how how they all relate. I don't know. I probably wouldn't bet on these because it wouldn't shock me if these are WWE type matches where there's an an outcome that's already been paid for. We all remember the time when Logan Paul went to a draw Mm -hmm. with Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition. So it didn't go on Floyd's record, but we all remember that, Floyd accidentally hit Logan Paul too hard and had to hold him up. Yeah. Um, so so you never know what's going to happen in these things. You, you got to think though that it's going to be Tommy Fury's going to win and set up a rematch with Paul, right? Because that's Paul's like only loss was to Tommy Fury. Yes. Yeah. So, but there's it. also been talk about KSI fighting Jake Paul. Yeah. So that, that's the big celebrity mega fight that everybody wants. Um, Something so stupid. Yeah. I refuse to pay for this, uh, but hey, if you do, God bless you, and let me know how it goes. Well, we can tell you how a couple of things are going at pregame.com. AJ's going to have a full UFC card for tomorrow's action. He'll have a college football card as well for Saturday, eight and four last week. So profitable. Mackenzie's got NBA coming around the corner. You're posting some NFL as well because you, the, the, the contest is just absolutely scorching hot. And uh, Major League Baseball postseason will roll on as well as the NHL season. Never lost. Running hot right now. We feel good at pregame.com. Here's what you can do. Go to the website. Choose a daily best bet package or a weekend or all access, season-long subscription, whatever you'd like, and take $10 off. We'll give you a discount. Goal 10, G-O-A-L, Goal 10 is going to get you a $10 discount. Anything you want at pregame.com, take $10 off. Daily best bet package, a three-star best bet for $25, make it $15. Take $10 off. Use the promo code GOAL10 at pregame.com. For Mackenzie Rivers and A.J. Hoffman, our thanks to Adrian Yanez. I'm Scott Seidenberg. We are straight out of Vegas AM.